there's not only one way to do things. Sometimes the way that you were taught might not even be what works for you in the long run. And I guess the over the overarching uh, lesson there was just keep an open mind at all times and try as much stuff as possible. Welcome to episode 111 of the Bay Shed podcast. My name is Ryan Roberts. All right, what's up, folks? What's up, folks? Uh, I got a new base. This happened. Uh, I feel like this is a safe space <laughs> to where I can talk about that. Uh, yeah, I got a new base. I had been scrolling Reverb for like, I don't know, it seemed like months, just like, you know, on Reverb nonstop, just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Um, this all started because Dan Lakin had sent me a four string. Uh, to check out and I kind of had it I had it for like I don't know a couple years I feel like I don't even know how long I had it felt like a long time it was a, it was definitely over a year and a half you know what I mean like it was maybe closer to two two and a half years no idea had the bass a while Dan hits me up like yo man send me the bass back all right cool now I have zero four strings at this point I'm like hmm gotta do something about this I gotta do something about this and I have to do something about the fact that I don't own a P-Base, right? Mm. I gotta do something about both of these things. So I'm on reverb non-stop. <clears throat> scrolling through bases, and I, I didn't want to drop a bunch of money. I didn't want to drop a bunch of money. Like, I use the four-string mainly to teach. Yeah, that's mainly what I use a four-string for. And so I didn't want to drop a bunch of money. So I'm scrolling through, you know, I'm looking to, like, spending about a grand. Not crazy money. Uh, I'm scrolling through looking at bases and I'm, I'm coming across all these P bases that look interesting to me and a lot of them are active and I, I don't want an active I definitely do not want an active P base to me it's not a P base you know what I mean like I'm a bit of a purist at times I, I pick and choose when I'm going to be a purist but this is one of the times where I'm a purist and <laughs> so I do not want an active P base I'm looking around looking around finally find a uh, PJ PJ Deluxe and, you know, that I order, shows up, cool, way punchier than I thought it was going to be. I got to say that, like, I, I played some workshops over at Los Angeles College of Music. I took the bass there to kind of, that was the maiden voyage with the bass. Hadn't, hadn't even really, like, checked, like, I had played it, you know, but I hadn't plugged it in and, like, really did any kind of deep dive on it. So I took it into the college. Super punchy. Super punchy. So far, really, really happy with it. I do think I might have got vibed a little bit. <laughs> because it's not an American-made bass. I also know that it's going to just be a, uh, whatever, a hobby to just continue to just mod it like crazy. I know that's going to happen. You know, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play on it for a little while like it is and then uh, probably start making some executive decisions about what stays and what goes. <laughs> and that's just going to be, like, this revolving door kind of project base that I can continue to tinker with to amuse myself. Yeah, that's what that's going to be. So that happened. That happened. Double bassist. I'm sure you're all hip to the International Society of Bassists. The ISB convention is coming up starting June 5th in Michigan. Uh, I had been planning, actually. I had been planning on attending, but, you know, gigs gigs and such <laughs> kind of got in the way. So, like, oops, won't be making it to Michigan. Uh, a little bit bummed about that. A little bit bummed about that. 
I was speaking with the folks at Lemur about ISB the other day, and they told me they are running a sale to acknowledge the base event. So stop by lemurmusic.com and use the promo code ISB23. Right, ISB23 <laughs> for 15% off all regularly priced items. Bows, cases, sheet music, rosin. I mean, come on, it's summer. We all know what that means. That means your rosin probably melted, <laughs> and it's time for a new cake of it. <laughs> Stop by lemurmusic.com, use the promo code ISB23 to replace the melted rosin. The Bayshed Academy is proud to have partnered with the Kahuna Cares Foundation. Kahuna Cares Foundation raises funds to support organizations that benefit and enrich the lives of children, teens, and adults with special needs. On August 26th, they are holding the 6th annual Kahuna Concert for a Cause. A portion of the proceeds from this event will support music education and music appreciation programs for those with special needs through the Bayshed Academy to purchase tickets for the concert and to enrich the lives of others. Visit kahunacares.org. Again, the date of the concert is August 26th. In other news about the Bayshed Academy, on June 24th, we'll be holding our summer workshops at Lemur Music. These are student-driven workshops. Uh, in the morning, in the morning will be the classical workshop with Marlon Martinez. Moving into the afternoon and early evening, I'll be teaching the jazz workshop and the electric bass workshop. You can visit thebayshedacademy.org. Click on programs. Scroll down to where it says summer workshops. Boom. Click on that again. <laughs> there you can get more information and you can register. June 24th, the Summer Base Workshops. On the episode is PJ Chinke. PJ is a member of the San Diego Symphony and an organizer of the San Diego Bass Fest. PJ works with another member of the symphony. Of the symphony. Man, like how many times did I do this? PJ works with another member of the symphony, Aaron Blick, to organize a five-day bass event in San Diego. That is the San Diego Bass Fest. PJ is a native New Yorker and will speak about how he ended up in San Diego, some early inspirations as a bassist and musician, and chat about the San Diego Bass Fest. I had a great time. I had a great time talking with PJ. He had some moments early on in his development uh, that were really cool to hear about, and it's also great to hear about his efforts to pay it forward, you know what I mean? To, like, to give those opportunities to younger generation. Wonderful hang. It was a wonderful hang. And here it is. Here's my chat with PJ Chinke. Cool. How you doing, man? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, Low-key day. You don't have anything going on today? Uh, I have a student to teach, but other than that, Chill. pretty low-key. Killing. Killing. Do you, uh, you teach at your house or your own studio? I teach at my house. Okay. Uh, cool, man. Let's dig into the... Uh, let's, well, let's start, let's start by hearing... Uh, like we talked on the phone the other day. I know a little bit about your background. Uh, but share share with the community where you come from and uh, how did you end up in San Diego? Well, like many um, orchestral musicians, you take a lot of auditions and you kind of end up where you land. Yeah. And that's sort of what happened to me. I'm originally from Long Island and I went to school. I did undergrad and master's at Juilliard and then... When I was 
finishing my master's, I was kind of scared about the future and jumping into the freelance scene in New York City when I really wanted to win an audition. And um, I thought it might be best to try to stay in school in some kind of program, keep working on stuff, uh, just to kind of like delay the inevitable of entering the real world in one way or another. <laughs> so my teacher at the time, Al Laszlo, uh, he lived in Cincinnati and taught at uh, CCM and would fly into the city on the weekends to teach at Juilliard. So I went to CCM as a for an artist diploma, which, you know, kind of like a victory lap for me. Yeah. I never actually got the artist diploma. I did the two years of school, but I was taking so many auditions and it was I had to decide, do I want to do a recital or take auditions? I couldn't really do both. So sure. I never did the recital and I just left school and then I was out there for two years freelancing, playing in a bunch of orchestras. <clears throat> I, uh, I taught at Capital University in Columbus, Ohio. And I took auditions. I took a, I took a lot of auditions. Yeah. And it was great living in Cincinnati because you could drive to everything. Everything was everything I took was pretty close. Okay. Um, Is there that many that many symphonies out there that to audition for? Um, well, for the professional orchestras, you know, I was driving a good distance. I mean, okay. I drove to Kansas City, okay. Nashville, Atlanta. Okay, so they Troy. weren't necessarily short commutes. <laughs> like you were driving, no, but they were no, still, they were still they road trips. Yeah, okay. They were road trips, but, you know, at that time, I was just doing, like, freelance gigs and yeah. kind of the freeway philharmonic. I didn't really have a whole lot of money, so uh, doing the drive was... Well, number one, it was less risky yeah. uh, than flying with the bass because, you know, that's always a stressful thing. But it was a little cheaper because I could, you know, keep my budget a little more under control. Right. And honestly, it was cool. Like, I got to see other parts of the country. I got to visit other cities and kind of, like, take my time a little bit. I wasn't on that's cool. as much of a uh, time crunch to get to and from the airport. Right. So, yeah, and then I auditioned for San Diego in February 2015. That was the only audition I flew to when I lived in Ohio. Okay. And it worked out. Nice. Thankfully. And I've been here since uh, I moved here June of 2015. So just about eight years. Now, not to, uh, you know, I don't know what the word is or the phrase is. Not to say that San Diego wasn't, you know, a choice you know, but is there is there a specific symphony that would have been like the top choice? Like if all planets had aligned, you would have landed at that gig. Ah, man, it's hard to say. I, I, I mean, we can time, edit this out. We can edit this out so that like it doesn't fall back on San Diego Symphony at all. But no, I'm just no, personally no. curious because there's no, always I, I like didn't... I feel like everybody's got like the oh man, that's the one, that's the gig. Like I want that gig. You know, when I left New York. I mean, I lived in New York City for six years and I yeah. grew up not far from there. So that was all I knew was New York and, okay. and specifically like the metropolitan area. And uh, I was a little jaded at that time. You, know, <laughs> you kind of feel like New York is the center of the universe. Sure. Um, so when I left there and moved out to Ohio, I always had kind of a dream to, oh, I would love to just get into the New York Philharmonic and heroically move back to New York. But yeah. I've got a prodigal um, son story. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But uh, after I lived in Ohio for that amount of time, especially near the end of my time there, 
I, I really grew to love it and kind of like uh, separated myself from that feeling of New York being the epicenter of the world. And I found that so many other places were great places to live and work. So by that time, I was just grateful for a job anywhere. It didn't really matter to me. I would, I wanted to win an audition and then yeah. just set my life up based on wherever I was at the time. Now, I do think like, I'm originally from Phoenix and like living now in Los Angeles and working as a bass player in Los Angeles. Uh, and I have friends in New York and some other major music towns. There's typically this thing that I've noticed where a lot of people will have this, like if you're not in one of these like five major music cities within the country, you can't really play or you're not really making it happen or this and that. How has being not in New York changed your perspective on that? Where like you realize that like people in other places can still play at the caliber of these major music cities. Oh man, it's beyond just that. It was, yes, it was that realizing that um, in any of these cities, but also that some, not only do some cities somewhat have a little bit of, um, like you learn the flavor and the style of that city, but people in that city are coming from other places that weren't right. New York. So I was learning lots of new stuff left and right that I didn't okay. necessarily learn in New York. Mm. Maybe by chance, maybe because it wasn't available, but that really broadened my horizons a lot. Yeah. Realizing that not only are there amazing bass players all over the country and all over the world, but people know a lot more than I do and have a lot <laughs> to share that that uh, I or anybody could benefit from. What are what are some of those those nuggets that you picked up from uh, different geographical locations? Um. If you can pinpoint it, or maybe it's just kind of a cultural thing that you you absorbed more than it was something, you know, a direct lineage of somebody said something or. I can't really pick one out off the top of my head. Yeah. I, it might have been more, but I mean, maybe I was more aware of it a couple of years ago, but um, just the general sentiment that there's not only one way to do things and uh, sometimes the way that you were taught might not even be what works for you in the long run. Mm. And I guess the over, the overarching uh, lesson there was just keep an open mind at all times and try yeah. as much stuff as possible and continue to try stuff. Cause I'm even finding now things that I tried in the past that didn't necessarily work, or maybe I didn't give it a full try mm -hmm. uh, actually holds a lot more water for me now. So does that does that relate more to uh, being a professional or actual technical things on the instrument? Um, I'm thinking I was thinking more specifically more technical things on the instrument. Um, okay, but you know professionally, there's always stuff to learn too. Sure. I mean, sure. sometimes you step in holes and you learn lessons. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> truth. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so how long then you you landed the job in 2015? Mm -hmm. You're still with the the San Diego Symphony. Uh, how many how many players are in that section? We have seven. The, well, the orchestra has seven, and okay. as of this year, uh, this is our first season since I've been there where we've had all seven spots oh, wow. filled with full time players. Oh wow! Um, we had a couple of people. My first year, um, somebody retired, and then. Uh, we had another guy in the section, Jory Herman, who actually, when we start talking about Bass Fest, he is the um, 
he's the godfather of baseball. Okay, he, he spearheaded he that to, and originated right. it? Okay. Right. Um, and then, you know, between the pandemic and all the time that passed before that, we just hadn't had an audition. But last year we had an audition and we hired two phenomenal players. And, I mean, I learned so much from them every day at work. They're really amazing players, amazing Killing. guys, and we're really lucky to have them. Killing. Uh, I was in San Diego not that long ago, just as like, whatever, we are going to Coronado Island or something as like a day mm -hmm. trip. Do you guys play in that shell right behind the Civic Center? Yeah, that's our outdoor venue. It's okay. amazing. We it used looks to, really um, cool. It's super cool. It's, yeah. I mean, we, and it's, it's gotten us through the pandemic. I mean, we're one of the only right. cities in the country that the orchestra could play outdoors most of the year. So okay. during all that time when we could have been indoors dealing with a lot of the safety precautions, we were able to do it outdoors and it was a little bit easier to, to manage. So then did you guys stay working through the, through the quarantine and everything because it was outdoors we or like an amphitheater? Start, yeah, we didn't start working, man, it was weird. I mean, the first thing we started working at, like after the lockdown was October, 2021, I think, okay. or 2020, I can't remember, maybe it was 2020, but we did an outdoor opera in the parking lot of the sports arena down here. Okay. But Michelle was finished, uh, I think we were on stage there, March of 21, Okay, doing stuff, like, you know, spaced out and everything. Yeah, is that a recent fixture? Like, is it recently built? Is that a newer? Yeah, it's, it's like a year old. Oh, wow. We, yeah, maybe two years old, actually. Okay. All right, that's cool. It's a, it's a really cool looking, looking thing. Like I was just whatever we caught this little boat to the island, and I'm like, oh man, that looks really dope. And then learned about what it was. I'm like, I was yeah, that's our home. I mean, in the past we had a summer season um, where they would in that area they would build a stage and then take it down okay. at the end of the season. But uh, our organization worked with the Port of San Diego and had the shell built, but it's also a public park. So during non-concert times, people can just come and sit and listen. Yeah. And during concert times, they fence off the seating area, but the sidewalk around it is open. So you can just walk around during a concert. Oh, cool. And the idea is that it's something for all of San Diego to share, um, especially when, you know, when we're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which has been a lot of the time. That's awesome. That's awesome. When when is the uh, parameters of your season? When does it start and when does it end? Our winter season, well, this, the year, the this, uh, symphony year starts in July. And okay. then we have um, uh, July and August are like the summer season out at the, at the Shell. And then we have September off and then we go October to May as the winter season. Oh, wow. Okay. And then we have June off. So okay. we start this cycle all over again. So it's pretty year round then just with these two, two kind of major breaks. Yep. That's awesome. Uh, how did you, how did you get involved with the base fest? So you moved there in 15. Um, it's already, how, when did the base fest start? When did Jory establish this? The summer of 2016 was the first one. Oh, okay. Okay. So he, um, he had a vision for, uh, I guess, like a bass-centric um, workshop festival that would sort of energize and unite the bass community in San Diego and, and beyond, yeah. if possible. And it was uh, it was a little bit of a smaller operation then, 
but it was still, I believe we still did it Tuesday through Saturday. Okay. We had um, uh, mostly local faculty, uh, but we uh, Andres Martin came, mm-hmm. um, so he was kind of like the non-local guy, but still pretty local. Yeah, and uh, David Allen Moore, right? I know he's up here. He's joining us this year for the first time. Okay. We're so excited about that. Cool. Uh, Robin Kesselman as well. Sweet. Um, um, so yeah, he started it in that, that summer and, um, we, we had such a good time. And yeah. I, I remember specifically that year was like, I mean, we had a great group of, of, uh, applicants. Everybody just had a really open mind and, uh, the faculty were great. That was my first time meeting some of these people who live in San Diego. I was only here for a year. Right. And, uh, it was really cool to see how the, you could see the students learning stuff, but, also, the faculty were learning from each other and from the students as well, and we had a really, really good time. And then we just kept it going. Um, Jor- I mean, Jory is—he's—he's he's a very um, inspiring character because okay. he's not only a great bass player, not only a very creative artist, but he has when he has a very clear vision, he's really good at putting it into play and putting nice. it into action. Nice. And it was cool to watch him. I mean, he single-handedly did that the first year Um, and we've been trying to keep it going ever since of course the pandemic put that on hold for three three years but we're excited to be back yeah what what were some of your personal takeaways from from that first one when you're seeing the kids get energized you're learning from the faculty is there anything you still recall as being a very specific takeaway for yourself as an educator um i remember maybe as I don't remember, well, as as a person and a musician, I remember um, Mark Dresser uh, did a really cool class um, about harmonics and how every chromatic note on the fingerboard lines up with a harmonic, and mm-hmm. if you can sort of train yourself to find them, uh, it it might help you map the fingerboard out, and therefore, you know, long term help your intonation. That was pretty sure. mind blowing to me. I'd never thought of it that way. Mm. I took that home immediately and started working on it and figuring it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed that. I, I think the, the students really took a lot from that as well. Um, but one of the big things I, I remember also um, seeing unfold was people who hadn't really performed in a group of basses before mm. do that and feel what music making is, um, ensemble music making, uh, sort of in the same uh instrument language you know like it's not like you're playing in a string quartet or playing in a band like everybody's a bass player so everybody's dealing with the same technical obstacles um and trying to deliver a a convincing musical performance so that was really cool and seeing people um you know dig deeper in themselves to emote something on stage yeah that's great um I remember, man, it was years ago. I remember being in a master class with Mark Drescher, and it was it was held up here at a jazz club at the Blue Whale, and it was still... Um, he didn't talk too much about harmonics. He talked a little bit about it. But we, we talked a lot about rhythm and, like, rhythm groupings and, like, uh, kind of associating a rhythmic value as it would relate to, like, a pitch class, you know, in 20th century... Uh-huh. Yeah, it was really. It had a lot of levels to it. It was. It was really, really cool. Um, he's amazing. He's amazing. I've, he I've been is. kind of. I've been following him for years. Uh, what What specific 
courses or classes do you teach at the Base Fest? Which ones do you spearhead? Uh, me personally? Yeah. Well, it kind of is all based on the structure of the of the base fest. Yeah, I maybe mean, let's the start there. Is... <laughs> I should have started with that. Let's start with the what, oh, what no, is no, the structure. It's all good. It's a good question. <laughs> um, so base fest is kind of structured around. We usually start the day with a group technique session or group warm up session where um, one of the faculty members will run it. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes it's somebody else. We try to do a different person every okay. day, and. Um, whatever that faculty wants to work on, whether it's left hand, right hand, combination, um, exercises, concepts, something that uh, can you just cast out to the students and um, maybe maybe it's something they've never heard before, maybe it is uh, that they can expand on and just kind of add tools to the toolbox mm-hmm. or maybe help them develop a warm up routine that they hadn't thought of yet. And just kind of get everybody into the uh, into the the mode for the day, and we follow that up the next hour with either a master class um, with probably one of the classical players, where usually three kids will get up and and play a solo in front of everybody, and then the the uh, faculty will work with them like a master class setting in front of everybody, um, or we will do like we'll have a jazz artist come in and work with the whole group on jazz technique, um, improvisation, learning a tune, um, soloing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we the morning closes out with bass orchestra. So we usually get about 15 to 20. We've had more than 20 in the past uh, people at Bass Fest. And we'll just have large ensemble pieces where everybody's assigned a different part, multiple people on the part, and it operates just like a giant bass ensemble yeah yeah bass orchestra and we rehearse that um every day okay and that's part of the final performance so me personally i'll usually run one of the group technique sessions um and maybe one of the master classes this year we have a lot of different people so everybody's going to be uh featured okay that's cool that's cool now we did talk about this the other day that it it is open for all levels how do you, as an educator, moderate repertoire that can is engaging for a broad scope of of levels? Very good question. Um, we, on, in our application, we have a list of questions to kind of um, get an idea of a student's ability, comfort level, um, exposure to repertoire. And once the application deadline closes, we look at everybody um, and we make assignments. Uh, well, we group them based on that and then make assignments that are sort of appropriate to what we see mm-hmm. uh, in the questionnaires. It's um, it's not always doesn't always work out perfect. And then we yeah. make it. So some we've had in the past, some people feel, oh, you know, this one part is, is too easy for me. And then we'll just move them to another part or to a different ensemble, whatever. We, we want to make sure that we kind of meet the happy zone where they are challenged, but not challenged to the point where they're out of their league. You know right. what I mean? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a short amount of time to, you know, get something together. You got a week mm-hmm. to get this this music together. So it's not like they can spend months shedding on it, you know, like right. it's a college semester or something. Uh, have you had... Have you had 
to bump people up or move people down because of, you know, what came in on the questionnaire wasn't exactly what was being delivered. In either way, I'm not saying someone was trying to pull a fast one. Maybe it's they, they didn't feel confident in what they could do and they were a stronger player than they the had led you to believe. Yeah, no, it's a good question. The one person I remember who um, who requested to move up to do something more challenging, I don't I don't remember what their uh, application said at the time. Yeah. But it was kind of like partway through a couple of days in. Uh, but we were able to work, you know, work it out. It was totally fine. Okay. Okay. And then do they perform at the Shell? Is the performance at the... No, everything is held at San Diego State University. So we okay. we do the performance on the stage at Smith Recital Hall. Nice. Nice. And registration for the Bass Fest is uh, now. And when does it? When does registration end? Uh, it's set to close a week from today. Uh, so Monday, June 5th. Monday, so June if anybody's 3rd. interested... Um, there's one week left in the in the application process. Okay, cool. And that's that's just the online questionnaire, and uh, they don't have. There's no self tape submission or anything. It's just kind oh, of a written right, right. situation. Um, there's no self tape submission. I mean, if people want to do that voluntarily, that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, sometimes, if we reach a point where where maybe the application questions are not as clear or we're trying to figure out like this person seems to be on the on the cusp of one ensemble or another sometimes we'll ask people to submit like a very short like 60 seconds or less uh clip video clip playing anything that they feel comfortable playing just so we can see um you know how they sound and what what would make the most sense to place them right right and then where do you uh what's the selection process for the the bass orchestra where do you get the material we have uh jory actually compiled a pretty extensive archive that we have um and we have it kind of in like a google drive that we okay. we go through um another really key person who's helped us so much in the past um jeremy kurtz harris our principal bass player in san diego symphony um he's also uh, the bass professor at san diego state and um he's a huge part of the organizational process as well. So cool. he has a lot of repertoire as well in his library. So usually we'll just sit down and go through everything, test a couple things out, you know, compare with the applica- applicants and, um, and make our selections from there. From year to year, do you see a lot of the same, uh, not levels because it is open to all levels, but do you find yourself selecting material that's kind of all at the same you know, all all on the same playing field, so to speak, or some years like more advanced. You know, we repertoire. Have, I would say um, we usually have like a end up with like a tiered level of ensembles just by the way things work out. There's usually one like you know hot shot, yeah, group, and then one for more beginners, and then a couple of levels in between. So, I would say maybe the difficulty of the rep. Anna, it, it always falls in those layers, even though we choose different pieces, different music each year. Sure. But because that's kind of the way it always works out with applicants, it it hasn't really strayed. I mean, I can't think of, we haven't had a year where we've had like a majority of beginner level music or a right. year we've had a majority of super advanced music. It's always pretty evenly spread and, and um, uh, graded up and down. Yeah. 
what are some what are some things that the, the applicants can take away from the camp that aren't directly base technique involved? Are there some life lessons instilled in the applicants as well, or flexibility, stretching, or there's some other things besides you know fingering patterns and just <laughs> technical exercises? No, yeah, of course. Um, we, well, in the structure of the day, every day after lunch, we usually do lunch at noon, mm-hmm. one o'clock, we have a movement class. Okay. And, um, it's designed, number one, so after lunch, after eating, that you do something that you're moving your body a little bit, and you're not stagnant, standing or sitting in one place. Um, number two, gets you away from it. the movement classes away from the instrument so it's just your body yeah. and number three which i mean i think is probably one of the most important things is increasing people's body awareness and how they use it mm-hmm. and how they can counteract some of the asymmetries that we need to engage in to play our instrument right. i mean Unfortunately, I, I've searched for many years to try to find a perfect way, symmetrical way to play bass. And <laughs> at this point, I can't find one. Sacrifices have to be made sometimes. Yeah. And the repetitive nature of what we do, um, if it goes unchecked, you know, it, it could cause some injuries down the road. Sure. Maybe nothing serious, but stuff that you might have to deal with. Sure. And um, for personal experience, when I first started experiencing stuff like that, it, it shook me because mm-hmm. I had never had anything like that happen before. And then when you get confronted with, oh, this injury or this uh, setback could affect how I make a living, it's it takes on a new... Uh, yeah, yeah, it's got a little bit more weight to it. Uh, what, were, what were those for you? Did you deal with some tendonitis issues or anything uh, severe or was it just some like tightness and things? It was not anything severe, thankfully, but it was enough to like, uh, you know, keep me out of taking auditions, a couple of auditions and, um, you know, taking off a couple of weeks. I had some shoulder stuff and uh, it was a lot, man, I knew nothing about body awareness and and taking care of yourself. When I I, I wish that there there was some kind of program in school that was mandatory in your schedule, whether it's yoga or anything stretching anything that would bring your mind into these places and realize that what you're doing repetitively needs to be undone Mm -hmm. i would go to school play for however many hours put the bass away go home and just repeat that without undoing anything and i got away with it for a long time yeah you can Um, when you're young (laughs) you can get away with so much when you're young i know man and then so when you when it really when it when something does happen you you start to it it freaked me out at the time sure so i try to really make sure that even with my own private students we talk about that kind of stuff because i learned a a valuable lesson for me and i want to make sure that i'm passing on something to them sure so that's what a, a major part of that class is designed for. And um, this year will be the first year that we're not, in the past we've shared the um, week of Bass Fest with a string quartet festival. Mm. Um, so some of the um, some of the group classes near the end of the day would be shared with everybody, including the movement class. But this year is only Bass Fest. So we've, um, the people we've hired, we've asked to sort of focus on base-centric things, especially like shoulders, sure. hips, legs, back, stuff like that. Right. So with the idea of 
learning a little bit more about how these body parts work, about how to um, stretch them and release them after playing and, and before playing and monitor them long term so that if you do end up getting in a situation where you have an injury, you can you have some tools available to you to right. mitigate that before you start going down other avenues. Right. What are what are your daily practices to address that? Do you are you do yoga? Do you do whatever it might be to to stay loose, to stay flexible? Right. What um, are your practices? Well, when I first started going through the shoulder stuff, I did everything. I went. I I, I threw the book, as they say. <laughs> yeah, at, yeah, yeah, at yeah. Right. Problem. And when it started to get better, I wasn't really sure exactly what did Which it. Which one? Yeah, was, was it the one trick? Of them? Was yeah. it some of them? Was it all of them? But after doing that and and having it kind of flare up every once in a while, um, I I do a regular long way to answer your question. I do a regular stretching routine twice a day that involves a lot of that stuff I learned. Okay. Um, and I do like uh, you know I train at weight training once a week to strengthen a lot of those muscles that um, in my case have weakened over time because of what I do every day. Sure. Have you, have you noticed any um, direct relationship to diet, like avoiding foods that might cause inflammation or like, you know, eating more spinach, which could be anti-inflammatory or something like that. Have you addressed it on a, a dietary level? I have not injury stuff necessarily. I mean, the, uh, for me, it's always kind of hard to, especially when the injury is happening, it's kind of hard for me to pinpoint things. I try to yeah. just keep all that stuff under control all the time as best yeah. I can. You know, it's, sometimes it's hard, but um, to be, try to eat healthy is all the time so that that is sort of, I don't have to think about that as much, but sure. you know, one of the main things I learned consistently in everything I did during the injury recovery was drink water, drink yeah. a lot of so that's and the diet thing unfortunately like everybody's body's different so even if i did sure. find something that cured my problem, you yeah it doesn't mean that that's universal exactly by any means you're right exactly we'll be back right after this all right folks all right i'm doing a new thing i'm doing a new thing I'm offering up the middle of the show, right? The middle of the episode. I'm offering it up to you. That's right. If you have a new single out, you have a new album out, if you would simply like to get heard by the bass community, you give a shout out to your social media handles, you know, your Spotify page, whatever it may be, hit me up. Stop by thebassshed.com and get featured on the Bass Shed podcast. All right, until y'all hit me up with your info so I can talk about you, uh, I'm going to talk about my album. <laughs> uh, go to thebaseshed.com, click on the tab that says album, and there you can check out uh, the album I did. Kind of released earlier this year. Collection of seven tunes. I wrote five of them. One was composed by my dear late friend Zane Musa, and another one is a reimagining of Charlie Chaplin's tune, Smile. Um, yeah, it's all there. The instrumentation is uh, myself playing uh, electric and upright uh, drums, vibraphone, bass clarinet, and then uh, Dr. Dan Cole plays guitar on a couple tracks. Really fun album. Um, those, are, those are some of my best friends and favorite musicians that I get to work with. Uh, check it out. The album is Smile on Bandcamp. Go to thebayshed.com. Click on the tab Album. Excellent, sir. 
In addition to doing uh, being involved in the Bass Fest and the San Diego Symphony, what are some of your creative outlets as a, as an artist? Um, well, I have my private students mm-hmm. um, that I, I work with. Um, I, I I think it's it's cool that I, I picked up a lot more things than what I learned in college, and I'm able to teach them with more tools than I learned when I first started. Uh, I have so, so much to um, say about that, but yes, go oh, ahead, no. go, yeah, go ahead, continue, so continue. Do, I'm interested you know, to hear yours. Yeah. I, well, I try to push them too. Like, uh, for example, my um, my wife is a musician as well. She's the associate principal cellist in the orchestra. Okay. And uh, we just did a studio recital with nice. all of our students, plus another colleague, uh, one of our violin colleagues. Um, we did a studio recital just yesterday with all the students. So oh, that's we cool. To get them to uh, perform. You know, I didn't do much of that when I was first starting out, and I'm not saying all that anxiety from performing on stage might have been a little bit less in my life now, but I would have been a little more used to it if I did. So Do you I still, did, was that something that, um, I mean, I started as an electric player. So mm-hmm. like being young, I was kind of used to being on stage. Like I remember getting bar gigs when I was like 19 and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. So I was like, you know, like I was already doing like four hour gigs and I wasn't even old enough to be in the place. Um, <laughs> So that I've never really had anxiety about that as much, but I, I have anxiety where it's almost where it's something you've been preparing for so long. Like if you sit and really are working on this playlist or set list or program for a long time, you know, a few months and stuff, and then it's time to deliver. I have a lot more anxiety about that than just showing up to a gig. You know, and not knowing what we're going to do at all. And people are just calling tunes, you know, we're playing jazz. Like, okay, that's fine. I'm way more comfortable like that than I am presenting something that's supposedly, you know, prepared and curated and all that. Uh, But all that to say, the performance thing, was that something you struggled uh, with in your early? Oh, I mean, I feel like I'm still struggling. Really? You know? Okay. Performance anxiety. Yeah, it's. T- I mean, not so much. Uh, way way less in the group setting, but yeah. for auditions and solo performances. Yeah, I mean, it's something I feel like any musician is going to deal with forever. And, sure. Um, yeah, the solo thing would freak me out. Yeah, well, that's yeah. what the kids were all doing yesterday. It was all solos. Okay. Oh, okay. I, I I mean, they did a great job. All of them it was. It was really cool to watch. Yeah. Um. So, you know, starting them young with performing solo repertoire in a recital format, we we stay on them with that. I also try to, um, I, I, I like the idea of music paired with education. Mm-hmm. And um, I get out into the community and I coach at a, a couple of high schools and middle great. schools in San Diego. Um, there's some really great bass players out there and really great music programs. But um, not everybody has access to the same resources, instruments, private lessons, all that stuff. And um, I, I go back to my time when I was, a, you know, high school, middle school, elementary school learning, and uh, I, I want to share as much with those age uh, sure. students as possible. You know? Sure. What were some of those early inspirations for you? First of all, actually, wait. I don't think we covered it. How old were you when you started? playing the bass i was eight. I oh, was wow that's young was that your first instrument or did you grow up playing yeah. piano 
No, I was just first instrument. Okay. I was uh, in second grade. They um, they did a demonstration of all the instruments, and um, the bass, te- the the string. Te- I'm sorry, the there was no student bass player to demonstrate the bass, but they had okay. students demonstrate the other instruments. So the teacher had to demonstrate it, and we were all sitting on the floor in the gymnasium, and he had to hold it over his head and walk through all of us. And I remember <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And then, you know, he plays the open E string and you can like feel it. And that mm-hmm. that was it. I, I chose it. So the next year and th- the fall of third grade, I started playing. Okay. Okay. That's a, uh, that's cool, man. That's something that uh, I'm passionate about too, because I do think that the, uh, both double bass and electric bass are up re- underrepresented at a really young school level, you know, and like mm-hmm. kids don't know. And a lot of times whoever's running the band program or the music program doesn't know enough about the instrument to talk about it, you know, with any kind of, uh, integrity, I guess, you know, and that's fine. That whatever, that's fine. Like it's, you can't know everything about every instrument, but I think it's cool that that was presented to you at a young age. Um, because that's rare. That's rare. I don't think i you know, when I was in second grade and third grade, I might've saw like a diagram on the general music, Yes. Uh, you know, in the band room for general music, and it's just like had all of them, and like, oh, the big one's the bass. Okay, you know, mm-hmm. that's it. I had never, I had never seen one, or played one, or heard one. So I think that's cool that you got that experience, and that you're you're kind of paying it forward too. I think that's fantastic. Um, yeah, trying. When when was the kind of crossroads? Because going through an academic situation, you basically can only choose from classical or jazz. Uh, what, what was the crossroads to stay with classical? I, in, um, ninth grade, summer of ninth grade, I did this, um, well, sounds kind of nerdy when you put it this way, (laughs) but I did orchestra camp Okay, and it changed, it changed my life, man. That was it. It was, um, the school of orchestral studies in Saratoga, New York, upstate New York. And, um, I, you work with members of the Philadelphia Orchestra. They have like a summer residency there. There's this big outdoor amphitheater. And I forget how long there were a couple of weeks, maybe. I don't I don't remember how long they're there for, but it overlaps with the festival. So we got coached. I remember my first year. I did it two years in a row. My first year, Hal Robinson coached oh, us. Yeah, yeah. And he um at the end, the final concert of every year at the time they would do a concerto and one of the Philly orchestra people would play the concerto. So they did the Dragonetti concerto that year and Hal played with us. Okay. So we like that just blew my mind. That was it. Yeah. And being there, I mean, you, you play a lot of rep and we played like tapa style. Like we wouldn't play a whole symphony, but we would do like the, um, like the second and fourth movement of Beethoven seven. Okay. The third movement of Beethoven five, uh, parts of uh, Romeo and Ju- copy of Romeo and Juliet, parts of Chike four, um, man, what else? I forget what else. just like a barely uh, symphony fantastique, just all these greatest hits of classical music. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's like the Wow ninety eight of classical. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now that's what I call classical music. Yeah. <laughs> <Whatever>. yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So yeah, like. And then we had a very inspiring conductor and uh, I just, I 
after seeing the Philadelphia, and the other thing was they would take us to Philly orchestra concerts. So we would hear not only the movements that we worked on, but like the entire pieces outdoors in the summertime. It was like so cool. Yeah. And um, it, it struck many chords for me. The first one being working with the Philadelphia orchestra guys and playing all that rep and learning that, oh, you can, you can do this for a living. Like you can, you can play all this music and, and make a living doing it. That hooked me. And then, uh, being around orchestra nerds, I mean, Mm. and realizing that it wasn't just one type of person, there were all different types of people there. And I was very lucky in high school where I had a pretty wide range of friends from all different types of social pockets. Yeah. Um, I feel like most I, musicians in high school do, you know, like right. like the jocks are with the jocks. And this is I was in high school back in the 90s when things were still very much like that. I have no idea if high schools are like that anymore. But you had the jocks, you had the skater kids, you had like the gangster guys, you had, yep. you know, all these little like <clears throat> sub communities. But I feel mm-hmm. like the musicians always kind of floated we can weave in and out yeah, of them. Yeah, easily, you know? yeah. We were never really cool enough to be one of them, but we weren't dumb enough or nerdy enough to not be one of them. They all just kind of like, eh, you know, they tolerated us. And <laughs> we tolerated them, and then we'd move on. Yes, yeah. and, and being in that orchestra camp united me with all, like, similar people. And mm. I, I kind of, not that I never felt at home, but that really clicked for me. Like, wow, this is... This is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. So at that moment, I decided that I wanted to do music and okay. I focused my energy toward that. Um, as far as choosing classical or jazz, I was always taught during through um, the classical lens. But when I was a kid, like when I first started, my uncle gave me a bass guitar and I was too short too little to hold it oh, i yeah. still have it. it's a 1983 ibanez roadstar it's like not dude i almost just bought one of those i love those bases and so yeah. solid man yeah it still sounds yeah. fine even now and uh so my dad who's not a musician none of my family are musicians my dad is a big classic rock guy so nice we used to my brother and i when we would go my grandparents lived like 30 minutes away so we would like go there for dinner and then my dad would drive us home and he'd turn on the classic rock station and be like, all right, guys, let's play. Let's play the game. So we're <laughs> drop the needle, classic rock, we're drop the needle, the song. And you tell me who the band is. Yeah. And sometimes and he would always say, listen, listen to the voice. You can always tell, mm-hmm. listen to the quality of the voice. And then you start to develop a palette for that sure. music. And then I got the bass guitar and I would start figuring out. Okay. Like, stuff by ear and then my dad would take the game to another level in the car and be like listen to the bass line and he would ah. sing along with it and you know for not being not a trained musician that's a pretty cool skill that he yeah. was able to do and bring out of me so all the time studying classical i was also playing in bands and okay. I played in the high school jazz band and stuff but i was not like um formally educated in that way so i just i don't know if anybody is the wave of classical yeah i don't know if there's even a formal education for it (laughs) really what i think happened is (laughs) schools have tried to create a formal education for it as a money grab Mm -hmm. you know it's like oh well look at all these students that we could be making money from all these people that are interested in instrument x whatever it is 
huh, we could be making money off that if we offer a, whatever, Motown class, or if we... And none of those dudes knew what they were doing. They were just doing it, you know? Yeah, right. It's right. like, I, I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings about institutionalized education in general. Um, but yeah, they, there was no formal education for it. You didn't, you didn't need to know, you know? I think the, the great the bass players that came out of that they taught themselves because they were listening to who else was doing it and what, what came before them. But there's exactly. no real formal education for it. Especially jazz. Definitely no formal education until uh, schools got a hold of it. And then, you know, that's a whole other topic about, <laughs> about how it came up with this street music in uh, Louisiana. And now it's like, you know, for rich white kids to go to at these prestigious schools like that's not that's not the music that's not the music anyways rant over um, <laughs> what um so you like pairing music with education you're teaching i think it's great that uh have you seen like the light bulb go off in kids the light bulb that you got when you were younger you know and this 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 bulb goes off of oh man i want to do that have you gotten to see that happen in another generation, in a younger generation? Um, I've seen a light bulb go off in, uh, well, I've just seen it go off. I'm not 100% sure where it has taken people yeah. in the long run. But um, it, uh, this this past year, I, I, so with the high schools that I go to, they have their orchestra music to work on. And sometimes it's, it's either like way too easy. Mm-hmm or really hard and we have to spend a lot of time on it so for the the groups that end up spending a lot of time on it um i i always try to throw them a bone and do like some kind of like musical treat yeah, yeah so a lot of them don't take private lessons so i use the the Mahler one solo from george vance okay and it's like a quick crash course in thumb position mm-hmm. and it uh it can be played like a round and get the whole group to learn it and play it through and you see their eyes light up like first just just the sonic uh structure that they're building for themselves of all the bass players playing the solo as in a round yeah but also the feeling of like accomplishing something that they've never done before uh yeah as far as range on the instrument Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because none of the orchestra parts have them in some position many of them have never even played in thumb position before and thumb position can be intimidating when you first learn it i mean that's one of the great things i i like about the george vance book is it gets introduced pretty early on in the process yeah i was just looking through that i know uh some friends of mine teach out of it pretty regularly and i finally checked it out uh, a few days ago actually i'm like okay i get it you know i get it Mm -hmm. yeah I'm, i'm envious that it wasn't really um as well known when I when I first started, I don't. Um, when did it? When was it published? I didn't look that up. I should have looked that up. I should look it up too. That's like that's know. something <laughs> that would interest me. I'm surprised I didn't just out of curiosity. Uh, yeah, I remember just schlepping through the Samandal, which was yeah, Samandal super Bela. dry. I mean, not that that stuff has is like is bad. I mean, it. The information it is not. Or the presentation of it is—it's all very well put together, but it's, 
it can it can be a little stale. Sometimes it's just a, a mouthful of saltines, you know, just playing through these. Yeah. Right. I like I, the Vance thing because the Vance thing has you playing, and then you can, you're getting into duets, so you could be playing with your teacher or a peer. I think those it it focuses on the performance a little bit more and, than just the information. Right, and some of the techniques in there, like pivots mm-hmm. and um, playing in thumb position, a lot of that stuff I didn't learn or encounter it until I was in college. Right. You know, and and they were taught more as like. Well, this is a, a quick trick you can learn to deal with this passage. Yeah. But to, and, and, and to me, I always thought like, oh, I, I can't teach kids that stuff. It's too advanced. And then I got the advanced books and like they start teaching that almost immediately. And duh, like kids are smart. They can handle yeah. that. And not only that, but it gives them way more tools and options available to them in their playing to then apply to more uh you know advanced repertoire so, <coughs> can't say enough good things about the george Vance. Method. yeah Love it. agreed and i think it's when i've looked at different method books and stuff i kind of was approaching it with the idea of it's going to be kind of comprehensive in the way that if that's the correct word that samandal is where you start here and you work your way up and you work your way through and i don't really think i got hip to the idea of not all books work that way until i started in on petraki and they're just like, just kind of no order to this book, you know? <laughs> uh, and then I realized like, okay, I mean, there is an order to that book, but it's not the same kind of progression throughout the mm-hmm. book. Um, yeah, I, I agree. George, the George Vance book is great. Is that something you teach out of a lot? Is that I you do. Preferred? Yeah. I love it. I, that, that seems to be the case. That seems to be the case. But I, I, I like to do it in, in conjunction with other things. So... Um, I use the Bile book a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I started with. That, oh, that's really? The thing, man. When, with There's three of those, like, right? There are yeah. many of those. Oh, is there more all than three? I only knew about three. Different different things. I mean, there's right. like the regular, like the basic technique one. There's one for bowing variations. There's one for scales and etudes um, and different volumes of each. There, okay. there are many, many books of them. But I think that this sort of structural aspect of Samandal and and Bile Bile can kind of fall into that same um that same uh uh thing coupled with the more um like uh not a, well they're not advanced but the the techniques applied in the George Vance book yeah he calls it progressive let's call him progressive yeah, we'll call yeah. Progressive. <laughs> he progressive does why not <laughs> exactly that's a good word yeah um and the Vance books are all like pieces it's all like you're always playing music and they have piano accompaniment and stuff so it's a really like I like doing that hand in hand it really I've noticed a lot of kids um like they start to define the fingerboard well, and also learn these uh, techniques and, and maneuver things a little bit with a little bit more agility than only having one or the other. Yeah. So, but I'm, I continue to learn. It doesn't work for every student. You know, every student's different. Sometimes you have to improvise. You can't just like prescribe the same thing to every person and expect to get the same result. Yeah, I think that that's a uh, something that that students should know about. I think from in anything that they're not just going through a curriculum when you study with a private teacher that you are, you know, that hopefully if the teacher's good, uh, they'll be really kind of lining up with how the student 
gets information, what's working well for them, and then like it'll be catered to them. Because I've definitely been a student in some lessons with some high-profile bass players, and it just felt like I was going through a curriculum. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah, no, this is this is dumb. Like, yeah, this. I feel like you're just feeding me the thing, man. Like, that this isn't really the direction I want to go, and this isn't why I'm here with you, and the whole thing. Uh, yeah. So I think it's very cool that you're sensitive to where the students at and making sure that they get specific one-on-one training because that's that's the point of that. Mm-hmm. Applications are still open for San Diego Bass Fest. That is at uh, SanDiegoBassFest.com. Um, what's, what's the price of it? I mean, like, I'm on the website right now. I'm here, but uh, just so people know. And it's actually, I was shocked at that it's a lot cheaper than I thought it would be. Yeah, it's $600. Yeah, it's, that's uh, it's great. It's five days, um, nine to five. So yeah. it's a full day of bass stuff. It culminates with a performance of the bass orchestra and also the afternoon portion of each day is devoted to small ensembles so we were talking before about how to assign people parts and stuff we end up breaking all the students up into like quartets and trios and they work on uh, a piece with a coach a faculty coach they work with the same coach all week and um, they present all those individual groups uh, on the recital as well and then again, the dates for the entire week are, when does it start and Tuesday, when does it end? Um, Tuesday, June 20th through Saturday, June 24th. All right, all right. That was my talk with PJ Chinke. Uh Man, I love, I love that he got kind of introduced to the instrument at such a young age and I think it was really cool that uh, you know, he started playing in second grade like man that's amazing I was too busy just uh, riding my bike and crashing it into brick walls like who knows what I was up to uh, definitely nothing as productive as you know starting a career <laughs> uh, I think that's great I, I think that's wonderful and the singing the bass lines thing, like just starting to, to train the ear at such a young age to, to focus, you know, from, from the ground up and listen to the bass. Uh, I wasn't, I don't think I was hip to it. I wasn't hip to like starting to listen like that until I kind of heard the bass isolated for the first song, for the first time. And then I could understand, okay, that was the bass. And then I could hear the bass in, in the music, but I couldn't. I wasn't just like singing bass lines right out of the gate, you know. Um, all all fantastic things that I do think um, bass educators, whether if you're a part of an institution or if you're given private lessons, those are things that uh, could be used with students is to have them just picking out lines and singing them. I think that's great. I think that's great. And uh, yes, the San Diego Bass Fest happening June 20th through 24th. Stop by SanDiegoBassFest.com for more information. And um, yeah, that's about all I got for this one, folks. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you on the next one in a minute.